Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 62. Matthew 27, starting in verse 62. You'll notice on the back of your bulletins that it does not say like it normally does what passage we will be doing. That is because up until yesterday, we were going to be in Isaiah 53, and then God decided to change that. For those of you who are in sports or football, that's an audible by the Holy Spirit. I don't know why, but I believe it's because he has something for us in this passage today. So we're going to look at it. So I'm going to read through the, the text. You can follow along with me silently as I read. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be, fir- will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. Brothers and sisters, this is a very interesting text, the resurrection itself, the account that we have there, is kind of sandwiched in by this narrative about the guards and the unbelief of the guards, the fear of the guards and the Pharisees of what would happen if Jesus, if Jesus' body wasn't there. There's actually a lot of fear in this passage, but I want to submit to you today that not all of it is bad. I also believe that this passage will help us today to see two reasons why this is a genuine account of the resurrection. There's evidence inside that they didn't make this stuff up. 
And we'll look at that. And lastly, we'll look at why when we're confronted with the resurrection, how we should respond. So let's start in verse 62 and work through this together. Starting in verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation. So the day of preparation was when you're supposed to get everything ready for the Sabbath. So this is going to be the Sabbath. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. These are the same Pharisees and chief priests who have been having a lot of trouble with Jesus. The same ones that schemed to put Him to death. So, they're supposed to be resting and stopping their normal work, but they're up to the same old work that they've been doing, scheming against Jesus. So now they say, verse 63, and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, meaning he's not the true Messiah from their perspective, said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Isn't this so interesting? That Jesus was apparently clear enough about his resurrection while he was on earth that even the Pharisees and the rulers knew what he was saying. Now, they didn't believe it. We see that. But they understood what he was saying. What's also interesting is we see the same is true for the disciples, but they seem to be confused and they do believe in Jesus. But after He's dead, what do they do? They go and hide and they're brokenhearted. This didn't work out the way we thought. He's been saying it. He's been saying it so often that even His opponents know it. So here's their plan. He said He was going to rise. We don't believe that's going to happen because He's an imposter. Because if what he said is true, then we lose all our power, all our authority, and he's the king, and we don't like that. So, here's what they say. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Do you see their plan? Go and seal the tomb. The rock's already been fraud, but go ahead and seal that thing and protect it. And wait for the time to pass, and then everyone will know he's a liar. Because if you don't do it, the disciples are going to come, and they're going to steal the body. They believed he was a fraud before, but if they come and steal the body, now everyone's going to think that he rose from the dead. That's going to be worse. Worse for them, for sure. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. They had a guard that were to work at the temple. How many consist of a guard? We're not sure exactly. Some say four. Some say more. They had a group of guards that they could use. And so Pilate says to them, you've got guards, go do it. Go make it as secure as you can. Now don't miss that. You guys go do all that you can to make sure Jesus stays in that tomb. Go ahead, seal it up. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. We've got the best of the best going to watch this guard. They're going to guard this this tomb. We're going to watch it and make sure nothing happens. We're going to seal this thing. Nobody is getting this body out of here. Well, not naturally, no. Verse Chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, there's a question on who this Mary is specifically, seems to be one of the other um, followers of Jesus' mother, 
went to see the tomb. They're going with their spices. They're going to go do the embalming and things of that type of nature, if you will. And behold, right as they arrive, this is just such a great coincidence, which if you're not here very often, we don't believe in that. There's the providence of God. We don't believe in luck either. We believe in grace. So, Mary Magdalene and Mary, they go, and as they arrive, behold, verse 2, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back this stone. This sealed stone. That takes care of the one problem. We're going to see what happens about the guard. So, the stone is rolled back and then he sits on it. I just kind of picture this angel just like, "Uh uh-huh. Nailed it. Got it. No problem. Take care of that. He rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance. Look at this. This is actually uncommon. We don't see angels described a lot like this. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothing was white as snow. We were singing about being made white as snow. The holiness that's there. This not having any sin. These angels don't have that. We don't either because of the righteousness of Christ. Now let's see what they do about the guards. Verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They're down. we got a few men down here. Because they were terrified of that angel. Again, angels are not little, fat, cute babies. When they're described in Scripture, they are awesome. And there's this constant, fear not, it's okay. Well, these guys were in such fear that they become unconscious. They're passed out. But the angel said to the women, (laughs) notice the women are good, (laughs) but they are a little afraid. Look, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Notice that the angel doesn't come to open up the tomb so Jesus can come out. He's already out. The tomb was shut. They're just opening it up, not for Jesus can, so he, Jesus can get out. It's so that the disciples and the ladies can look in. They're seeking Jesus. Their expectation is that he would be dead, even though he said, to the degree that the rulers even heard it, that he would be raised. Verse 7, so now that they've seen it, I want to, let's put ourselves in their, in their position here. He says, the angel says to them, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Now, that doesn't mean these ladies aren't the disciples. I would lean more towards he's talking about specifically his 12 that have been following, 11 now. But it could include all of them. Go and quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. That's all they wanted. They wanted to see their Jesus. 
They thought they were going to see him dead. See, I have told you. Now this is where, as I was working through this text, verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb. Look at this. With fear and great joy. Those two don't normally go together. Fear and great joy don't normally go together. What is going on? It's not fear like the guards had. I want to submit to you that they're, they're worried about, they're fearful of something else. Depart quickly from the tomb with, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You know what I think is going on here? I think they wanted to see their Jesus. They thought they were going to see him dead. He's not there. An angel has said, he's somewhere else. Go quickly. And they are excited to go see their Savior. You ever been excited to go see somebody? You're supposed to meet somebody. You hear that they're there. I remember when we were younger and Heather was at a party or something that was going on and I heard that she was there. I got the news she was going to be there. Not a bad party, Carrie, don't worry. It's a good party. A good get-together. They're reading the Bible. I heard she was there and I wanted to get there to see her before she left. I think what they were worried about was they were going to miss him. They want their Jesus. And that's why I think they have this concern, this fear that they might not get there in time, but they also have great joy with what they just heard. He's alive. Okay? So, continuing on. And you will see him as he have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And look at their response. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. They didn't want to let him go. Got you. You're alive. You're here. You said you would come back. We, we didn't even believe it. And you're here. And they're clinging to his feet because they love him and they're thankful for the resurrection. And they worship him. And look what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. What would they be scared of? If this was a terrified fear type thing, what in the world would they be scared of? They're holding on to his feet and they're worshiping him. They don't want to let him go. They're fearful, I think, that he's going to leave again. And they want him. So he says, don't, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. They're going to get to be with him more, but they are so overwhelmed with the resurrection that they don't want to let him go. Brothers and sisters, are you so overwhelmed with the resurrection that you don't want to let him go? You want him. You want to be with him. You want to see him in his word. You want to commune with him. Or is it just a day to get dressed up and go with some kids to find some plastic eggs? you want him? Are you even 
fearful that, oh man, what if Scripture's not true? What if I die and Jesus isn't there? What if all this was false? What if none of this is true? Guess what, friend? The resurrection proves that it's true. He's at the right hand of the Father and He's coming for you. There's a fear that drives people away. They're terrified of God, like the guards, like the Pharisees. And there's, I think, a fear that draws us even to Him and gives us great joy. It goes hand in hand with joy. I want to say quickly that in this account, there, I think there's two reasons that this is a genuine account. Certainly it's the Word of God, but inside, if you were going to write a story, you wouldn't write it this way. And there's two reasons, at least. One, you wouldn't have made the women the eyewitnesses. Because their testimony in court would not have been accepted anyway. At that time especially, the word of women really wouldn't have made that much of a difference. But who are the first ones there? The women. The second is the guards. Let's read. While they were going, verse 11, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest what had taken place. Here's your assignment. Seal it. Guard it. Make sure nobody leaves. Oh, great. We've got to go tell these guys that, hired, that we're working for. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They came together and, the, and they told them everything that happened. What happened? Uh, we were hanging out. Some ladies came up. An angel came down. Sat on the stone, we passed out. We were all out cold. Don't even know what happened. These are the trained. They've seen war, probably. They hadn't seen an angel. They hadn't seen the power of God. How foolish does this make them look? So look what they say. They took counsel. Here's the elders, right? They just got report that an angel came and did this, and they're still trying to figure out how to suppress this thing. How hard-hearted can you be? An angel has now come, and you still, huh, what can we do? All right, well, let's give you guys a bunch of money. So they gave the sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples by night came and stole the body while you were asleep. The one thing they were going to stop and do all their power, as I said, do all that you can do to make sure that that body stays in there. And they couldn't do it. How foolish does that make them look? Again, another reason. If this is being written, these things, they would not come up with this plan. This is from God. Verse 14. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you guys out of trouble. So the guards themselves who literally saw an angel come. Verse 15. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. If you were to search online of what happened to Jesus' body, this is one of the theories that happened, that the disciples came and stole it while they were sleeping. It's still a theory today. So what does this mean for us? Like I said, this passage itself does give a lot of strength to that the resurrection is real. 
Now, we know it is certainly because of the Word of God, but even as we defend it. But I think what's more important is that we really understand the idea of loving Jesus and His resurrection so much that we're actually fearful in that same way that what if we don't have Him? Where is He? I need Him. I need my Jesus. Not in a terrified state, but in that awesome fear of the Lord that is mentioned throughout Scripture. I want to end with this. You've heard the resurrection story. We have sung about it. We have prayed. We have done all these things. You've heard the resurrection. Here's your two responses. You either deny it like the Pharisees. You try to push it aside. You try to continue to say, no, it's not true. Or you embrace it. If you're a a Christian, here's what I want to share with you. The last thing. Paul in the gospel or in the epistle to the Corinthians, you heard some of it this morning if you were at the beach. He actually talks about the resurrection, and here's what it says. Listen carefully. 1 Corinthians 15, these are the last section we'll do today. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which we just read, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? So there's, out, there's people out there, this group, saying there's no resurrection from the dead. Paul says, if he's been proclaimed raised from the dead, how can you say there's not one? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, my preaching is vain, and your faith is in vain. But watch this. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, look at this, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It's the resurrection that gives us our justification before God. It's because of the resurrection that we're made right before God. If He stays dead, God says, sacrifice wasn't approved. Try something else. But the fact that the tomb was empty means God says, yes, believe in Him and you'll be raised too. But the last application I have for you, verse 18 says this, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ, look at this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But you know what's interesting about that? Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If your life being a Christian looks like everybody else's life who's not a Christian and the resurrection is not true, you don't need to be pitied. You live the same life everybody else lived. Let me give you an example. If you believe that I'm the pastor of this church, one of the pastors of this church, and I'm married to Heather, and I have five kids, at the end of today, I'll give you a million dollars. Right? Good deal. Here's the catch. To believe that means you have to suffer. 
you have to be persecuted. You have to be beaten. You have to get rid of all your stuff. You have to have people hate you. Here's the thing. If I say to you, all that, you have to do all that, and at the end of the day you find out I'm not one of the pastors, or I'm not married to Heather, or I don't have five kids on this earth, here's what's going to happen. You've really missed out. You have suffered for no reason. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that the only way your life, that you should be pitied among everybody else the most if the resurrection isn't true is because you have lived a life that's different. You have lived a life that others would say if the resurrection isn't true, you have wasted it. But if you lived your life and it looks like everybody else's at the end of this thing, you shouldn't be pitied at all. You're just like everybody else. That's what Paul's saying. So the resurrection is everything for us. It's where our joy is. It's where our hope is. We do not have anything else other than Christ and His resurrection. That's where we have to put our hope. And we need to live lives that reflect that in light of that resurrection. And I'm telling you that if we do that, if we think and hope in the resurrection, there is great joy that comes from that. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the resurrection of Christ. We are thankful that He did not die and stay there. We are thankful that He was willing to endure the cross, be our sacrifice, and we are thankful that He was the perfect sacrifice to die in our place for our sins. And Lord, we're thankful after three days you rose, He rose for our salvation. Father, I pray for my friends in here today. I pray if there are any in here who have not trusted in Christ and His resurrection, I pray that they would today. And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would have a heart like these women, like these two Marys here, that we would have a heart that wants Jesus so much that we will hug at His feet and squeeze Him and worship Him that we will run to tell other people with great joy about the joy that we now have in Christ. Help us to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen.